You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Episode number 14 of the Minor League Baseball Podcast, the show before the show arrives in your ear canals. Get excited, everybody. Hi, I am Tyler Vaughn, Jake Siner in New York City. Hi, Jake. Hey, Tyler. What's going What's on? Up, yeah, we. Uh, I feel like we should have done like a hotel and skipped over 13. And, and yeah, exactly. Just jump straight only, to If only because then we feel more accomplished. Getting the, the 15. Oh, that's true. We would have gotten there earlier. We would have been on 15 yeah. this week. We did... Instead, we, we made two 13s. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, we had like a weird, we went uh, like a half new software release, and we went episode 13.5. <laughs> if you missed that last week, by the way, toward the end of last week, we released uh, a conversation that we had with Colorado Rockies first-round draft pick, Brendan Rogers. Uh, it was the third overall pick in the draft. He was the top-rated talent in the draft, heading into the 2015 Major League Baseball first-year player draft. And we talked to him, and then he went out that night, Thursday night, Four for six in his professional debut with a home run. So, not saying it was us, but it was probably us. Let's be honest. I'm just saying, prospects, if you're listening and, and looking for a little slump buster, we can, saying, we can provide that. The, uh, the on-signer bump is real. <laughs> so, welcome into episode number 14. We have a packed show today, a very exciting show. Brent Honeywell, Tampa Bay Rays prospect, will join the show today. We're going to talk a little bit of screwball, what it's like to throw a screwball. Not that he is a screwball, he actually throws a screwball. Uh, so we're going to talk about that, what that is like to learn how to throw a pitch that really nobody throws anymore in professional baseball. Seventh ranked Rays prospect this season, just got promoted uh, to Class A Advanced Charlotte in the Florida State League. We're going to talk with Brent Honeywell. We are also going to talk for the first time outside of Affiliated Ball uh, and a conversation that we are really excited to have, Sean Conroy of the Sonoma Stompers, whose name you have probably heard uh, in recent weeks because he became the very first openly gay professional baseball player, made a start through a complete game shutout in his uh, first ever professional start, 140 pitches and a phenomenal outing. We're going to talk with Sean a little bit later on about what it's like to be a trailblazer and a pioneer in his regard, obviously, as an openly gay athlete who has made his professional debut now and and broken down that barrier in professional baseball. But also, I'm going to talk to him a lot about what his league is like, what that team is like. There's a, a fascinating sidebar that's going on with the Sonoma Stompers this season that we'll get to as well. Uh, so we'll talk uh, a lot of baseball in various capacities coming up today. But let's dive right into it with three strikes for episode number 14 of the show before the show, the Minor League Baseball Podcast. 2015 MLB Futures game rosters have been announced. They actually dropped last week, and uh, we talked about some of the guys who we were really excited about in a piece this week on MILB.com, but there are a whole lot of exciting names, a lot of exciting talents. Jake, who's caught your eye on the uh, the U.S. and the world rosters for this year? Yeah, the uh, the first guy that, that – well, the first thing that jumped off the list, actually, is usually the, the guy you're most excited to see is somebody like a Joey Gallo or Chris Bryan or some kind of – Prada just power hitter who you're going to go in batting practice and watch him launch balls 450 plus feet and there there are some some good hitters obviously on the team this year but I don't think there's anybody with Joey Gallo kind of power that's going to put on that kind of show maybe Aaron Judge with the Yankees um, but on the pitching side we're going to get a lot of guys one of the things that that happens in this game is uh, you get guys who are starting pitchers who are used to throwing 80 to 100 maybe a few more pitches per outing that are just going to get one inning they're going to throw 10 20 pitches and they're going to throw them mostly as hard as they possibly can. And there's nobody I am more excited for in that regard than uh, Cardinals right-hander Alex Reyes. Reyes has already been up to 101 on the Palm Beach gun this year. He's hit triple digits with pretty uh, 
pretty consistently, pretty regularly. Um, he's got, I think, the strongest arm of anybody in this game. Uh, maybe the, the next closest guys would be Frankie Montas from the White Sox and a uh, friend of the show, Lucas Giolito from the Nationals. Um, I think those three guys, but especially Reyes, I think in, in a short stint, I'm, I'm curious to see um, the off-speed stuff. I heard, you know, we hear things about the changeup being much better than it was uh, heading into 2014 and the curveball having gotten a little bit better this year and showing some real plus break at, at times. So mostly just excited to see him gas up. And, I mean, they, the Great American Ballpark, you used to see an Araldis Chapman uh, test the radar gun there. I think Reyes might be his uh, closest competition we maybe have seen come through in, in Cincinnati. Uh, so I think Reyes is probably my guy. What about you, Tyler? You know, I'm going to, unsurprisingly, uh, for the team that I'm going to pick a guy from, but Rymel Tapia is a power bat, a dynamic bat, an electric bat in the Colorado Rockies system who I think – is going to become a household name in pretty short order. This season, he's one of the younger guys on this world team roster. He's a San Pedro de Macorís product out of the Dominican Republic, the cradle of shortstops that city is known as, uh, but is an outfielder, a left-handed bat, and a guy who has one of the loudest, and as I kind of termed it in our, our preview of the Futures game, one of the lesser-known hit tools in the minors. Uh, Ryan Parker, who's kind of the swing guru scout from Baseball Prospectus, he gave Rymel Tapia the first ever seven grade that he has given to a hitter in the minor leagues. And on that baseball perspective scale, that's like an all-world player. Uh, Tapia has... Basically, at every level he's been, he's been pretty young for the level, and he has hit extraordinarily well. He's got an average over 300 so far this season in the California League. Just a dynamic guy. He can hit at the top of the order. He can hit two, three, four. He can hit fifth. He can be placed pretty much in any spot and given a, a chance to succeed. So I'm excited to see him. I think there are a lot of dynamic bats more on the... Team USA side, on the American side, you'll see Kyle Schwarber. Uh, you'll see a guy like Tony Kemp in the Astros system who we've seen not only you know being a spark plug offensively but making insane uh, defensive plays, especially over the last few weeks. It seems like he's in the sports center top ten every week or so now. Uh, Trey Turner from the Washington Nationals is another fun one. And, of course, Aaron Judge uh, of the New York Yankees. So there are some maybe bigger bats on the, on the U.S. side, but I think the world team does have some uh, those fascinating younger guys to watch like Tapia, like Raul Mondesi, like Max Kepler, who's a German born outfielder in double a in the minnesota twins organization uh the futures game is one of the funnest events on the baseball calendar if you're a prospect person it's like prospect christmas the futures game it's a lot of fun yeah and we've talked about batting practice being the thing that i think you really want to see it's 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 open to the fans to get in there a little earlier than for a regular game so you can have a chance to get in and see guys um and last year we had joey gallo smashing the window on a truck in in minnesota um, I was on the field for when it was in New York two years ago. Uh, guys like Buxton and Snow and uh, uh, Jock Peterson put on a real show that year, and Christian Yelich looked really good. Um, really cool chance to see guys who are going to be in the majors pretty soon. Pretty much all the hitters here are at Double A AA or Triple A, so they're all knocking on the door already, especially on the world side. Um, and as far as guys for batting practice, we mentioned Aaron Judge is, is a guy with some big power. Matt Olson's probably going to be the closest competition he has for, for putting on a fun show he's also on the, the u.s team so maybe somebody will do us all a favor and put the two of them in the same group so we can see them slug against each other uh, Raphael devers is a guy who can do some things in, in batting practice he tends to stay more gap to gap but guys uh tend to not have a problem abandoning their approach a little bit for these things and putting on a show i think the only guy i've ever actually seen who didn't seem to want to put on a show in, in a uh, showcase like this was Byron Buxton when he was in New York a couple of years ago, just decided to sit gap to gap and took it like a regular BP, which was impressive, but kind of boring. Um, but, but yeah, I think you're going to see, you know, Kepler has a little bit of power. Maybe we'll see that. Uh, Renato Nunez maybe can tap into something. 
Nomar Mazzara has some power. Um, you know, it'd be interested to see. It's just see Tapia just against all that velocity too. Is one of the younger hitters on that that world team. Um, when he does get into the game, he's going to be seeing triple digits probably from somebody. So a lot of a lot of interesting guys to watch, and every team obviously represented. Uh, Amir Garrett probably will start for the U.S. team on the mound. Cincinnati pitcher just as a hometown guy. He's an interesting story being a former college basketball player. So a little bit of everything. Definitely uh, definitely a fun event. Highly endorsed if you are around the Cincinnati area and can try to get tickets. I'm very, very jealous of the people who get to go to the Futures game. One of these days, I'm going to make it to a Futures game, but until then, I'll just be unceasingly jealous of the people who do. It's well worth. It's really <laughs> worth doing. It's it's really cool. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not even. I'm not even making this up just because I'm a, a mill guy or something. It's honestly one of the coolest things I've gotten to do. Strike two, Jake. Fire away. Yeah, strike two. Uh, big news coming out of Baltimore this week. Dylan Bundy possibly going to be shut down for the season. In fact, it seems like probably he's going to be shut down for the season. Bundy was a uh, first-round pick a few years ago and really emerged uh, after he was drafted as a 19-year-old, pitches all the way to the, to the majors in, in his first year and um, then ended up on the shelf with Tommy John surgery and was finally made his way back uh, last year and pitched a little bit. This year was supposed to be the year where uh, he kind of took the uh, – took the 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 you know let him loose a little bit and uh hit a little bump on the road he has a calcium buildup in the back of his right shoulder which is uh, apparently a pretty rare thing uh, it's causing soreness and inflammation for him it's according to the baltimore sun and so the orioles are now shutting him down uh possibly just for a couple weeks but more likely for for close to the whole season manager buck showalter mentioned that probably the most likely track here is that, that Bundy gets back in time to go and pitch in the Arizona Fall League, so that might be the next time we have a chance to, to see Bundy. The stuff seemed like it had ticked up a little bit this spring. The velocity was back. I know talking to, to Brian Graham, the player development director there, he was really excited about the progress Bundy was showing, both with the velocity and the sharpness of his stuff, and then also just from the, the command standpoint, seemed like he had finally turned that corner. Um, so this is ill time for Bundy, and puts the, the Orioles in a tough spot, too, because Bundy is out of Major League options for next season, which means the Orioles either have to keep him on the Major League roster coming out of spring training, or they have to expose him to waivers and give every other team in baseball a chance to grab one of the top prospects in the game um, because he got he was one of the last guys to get a Major League deal through the draft. That's something that, that doesn't happen anymore with the, the new CBA and the new draft rules. Um, so Bundy becoming increasingly a, a fascinating story, certainly... Uh, you know, he's a guy who's always been good with us doing interviews and things and, and a nice guy to talk to. So hoping to can kind of put this behind him and come back and, and show uh, some progress and finally get back on the mound. But, but definitely disheartening if you're a Baltimore fan. It certainly scares you more, too, the fact that it's a shoulder issue. Uh, I mean, an elbow thing, Dylan Bundy is a, a Tommy John guy, uh, had that surgery in 2013 and was continuing to work back from that this year. He made nine appearances last year uh, between short season Class A Aberdeen and uh, advanced Class A Frederick, um, and combined between those nine outings, one and three, a 3.27 ERA in the road back from Tommy John. But then this season, so far, eight games, a 3.68 ERA. Like you said, the stuff seemed like it was good, but you definitely – want to be far more cautious with something that is a shoulder issue uh not to say that elbow issues aren't serious but shoulder issues can be a lot more career altering uh and career threatening than elbow issues are and dylan bunny's only 22 years old i mean that's a crazy thing you look at where he was taken in the draft first round pick back in 2011 he's still only 22 he's not going to be 23 until well into 
the Arizona Fall League season this year. So I think at this point, if you're the Orioles, you know, make sure that you can get him back 100% healthy. Even if it's not in time for the Fall League, if you have him 100% healthy in time for next year, that's what you really need to see from Dylan Bundy for this organization because he was going to be a very, very big piece of this rotation or this bullpen or wherever they saw fit for him when he made that jump to the big leagues. Uh, The Orioles would have loved to have seen that this year, continuing a push toward the top of the division as they've made over these last few weeks. So right now, I mean, that's obviously the the top key component to this is making sure that Dylan Bundy is not going to continue to have these setbacks. But it's definitely – it's not just frustrating and concerning for Orioles fans. It's really for everybody who likes watching top prospects because Bundy, when he's on, he's one of the very, very fun guys to watch in all minor league baseball. So we certainly wish him all the best in getting back on track. Strike three this week, uh, yet another top prospect with yet another promotion as the Minnesota Twins have finally decided Jose Barrios is ready for the AAA level. Barrios so far this season uh, has had kind of one of those bounce around sorts of years. He's been very, very good for AA uh, Chattanooga with an 8-3 record and a 3.08 ERA, and the numbers have been fantastic. 92 strikeouts to 24 walks and 90 and two-thirds innings. Uh, He's only given up six home runs so far this season in 90 and two-thirds, which is very good. A whip of 1.11. He doesn't have a whole lot left to prove, I don't think, at the minor league level, but he's only 21 years old. So right now... The Twins are kind of playing with with house money. You get him to to AAA, let him dominate for a little while with Rochester, and then see what you have in him at the major league level. Yeah, I was a little surprised that that Barrios stepped back to AA this year. He pitched uh, mostly in the Florida State League last year, got eight starts at AA with New Britain, and actually made his AAA debut last year at the end of the year. Um, Didn't look like when he pitched in AA last year that he had a whole lot left to prove at the level, and I think that really carried over and was, was much the same this year. He, he upped the strikeout rate a little bit coming back to, to double-A, being in the Southern League. Um, he's a guy with really good stuff, and just the makeup from people you talk to him, talk about him, just people, the Twins are, you know, they adore the, the uh, competitive fire he has and some of those things. You know, he did a Q&A with, with Ashley Marshall before the season and uh, welcomed comparisons to Justin Verlander, Felix Hernandez, Jose Fernandez, or Felix Hernandez, Jose Fernandez, um, you know, the, the twins love the, uh, the makeup and the fire that he has. I think he made some real big strides last year with some of the secondary stuff. And also just with learning to corral, uh, when it was a really fiery personality, I think when he was in the lower levels, he, um, had a, a little bit of reputation as a guy who you can maybe, you got a couple hits or, or let him walk a couple guys. He might uh, crumble a little bit and fall apart and has really put that behind him. Um, you know, I think he's, about as ready for the major leagues as anybody really needs to be to, to get that first look. I think the concern may be just building him up with innings and, and, you know, obviously he's only 21. He's a smaller guy, six foot one eighty five, So you want to be careful and make sure he's ready for uh, some of the demands physically and, and things like that. But I, I would fully expect Barrios to get a look in the majors at some point this year. and wouldn't be surprised if he blows through triple a and, wouldn't be surprised if it happens in a matter of weeks. I'd probably he'll be there a little bit longer than that, but don't think there's a, there's much for him to show at that level that he hasn't already shown at double a. The Minnesota Twins just have so much on the way. You know, like it's you talk about the Mets, you talk about the Cubs, but you kind of forget about the fact that the Twins were still hanging right in in the mix in the American League Central and in the wild card race. As of uh, when we record this on Tuesday, they're only a half game back in the wild card race, five and a half back in the division. There's a whole lot on the way for Minnesota, whether it's Byron Buxton, who's obviously made his debut this year, Miguel Sano, who's really starting to feel it, uh, Barrios now on the on the pitcher's mound, Max Kepler, the outfielder, Adam Brett Walker, the outfielder. There are a lot 
lot of really talented guys climbing that ladder for Minnesota. So it's going to be a, uh, a very fun next few years to watch if you're a fan of the team that plays at Target Field. So that is going to wrap up this week's edition of Three Strikes. And we're going to switch on out and head to uh, the Pitcher's Mound in the Florida State League, where we will catch up with uh, a very entertaining, a very confident, and a very fun guy to talk to, Brent Honeywell, the Tampa Bay Rays organization. He joins the show next. Our guest this week, we're very excited to have right-handed pitcher from the Tampa Bay Rays organization, Brent Honeywell. Brent, I, I appreciate you coming to join us. I know you just got a promotion down to uh, Charlotte in the Class A Advanced Florida State League. I just want to start asking kind of how things are, are going down there in sunny Florida. Oh, it was awesome, man. Uh, being down here in the hot weather like I grew up in, uh, humidity is a little different, but it's nothing like going out for your first out and getting chilled. So, uh, <laughs> just just still figuring some things out down here, just kind of acclimating. Uh, yeah. Having a good time, though, man. Good group of guys. Yeah, I want to start. You're, you're obviously very notable for, for a few reasons, but I think most people know you because you're a guy who throws a screwball. That's something that was passed down to you through your family. Um, not a, something that we're seeing a lot in professional baseball anymore. So I just wanted to start just asking if you can kind of recount um, what exactly is a screwball, if you can maybe explain just for people who might come to see you pitch, kind of what they can look for, and um, just kind of briefly talk us through the, the family history that kind of led you to inherit that pitch. Yeah, man, uh, it's it's a unique pitch. Uh, I mean, not, not too many people. I mean, nobody throws it anymore. Uh, but no, I mean, my, my cousin, Mike Marshall, threw it. He started throwing it and uh, won the side young with it in 74 or 75 with the Dodgers. But uh, um, my dad went to college in St. Leo, and he was under him. Um, he was under Marshall at St. Leo, and Marshall put that into his arsenal, and then my dad put it in my arsenal when I was about 13. And I, I really started throwing it and using it in games about 15 or 16 years old. So, I mean, it's it's a fun pitch to throw. I mean, what you can look for is uh, people came to watch, especially down here. You know, we're in the big league parks, and so the radar guns are right. So um, you're not going to get false readings on those. Um, but it's normally between 77 to 78, 79 miles an hour. Uh, and it kind of looks like a sweeping curveball from, from a lefty. I mean, it, it's a breaking pitch. So, I mean, I may yank a couple that look like curveballs. That's just because I'm getting my fingers over the front of it. But, I mean, other than that, you just – so you'll know it's just weird. It's a weird-looking pitch leaving the hand. Brent, when you throw that, uh, I think as much as having the ability to throw it is getting guys in, in guys' heads and knowing, letting them know that you have the ability to throw it. Have you found that? I know that was in one of the scouting reports I read on you coming into this season. Was that it seemed like just the threat of having that there, having a pitch that opposing hitters hadn't seen, was enough to keep them honest on the fact that maybe it was coming at some point. Have you talked to opposing hitters about what they've seen in that pitch and, and maybe the fact that it's in the back of their minds that I don't know what's going to be coming if I see this pitch come out of his hand. Oh uh, yeah, I talk to uh I try and get some feedback from them because that just lets me know what they're seeing out of my hand, like you said. Uh but I talked to Rowdy Telez from uh he was in Lance, I think he got a promotion at Dunedin maybe, I'm not sure. Um but I mean Rowdy's a good dude, man. He and I asked him, he's like, Hey, just don't please don't throw me any more of those and I was like, Well <laughs> and that's my feed that's my feedback right there. But um what I've found here lately is I can't bury the pitch. So it, it's tough for me right now to bury the pitch. I really got to figure out the release corner, and I'm still working on that. And 
working on developing some other things. So um, if I can't bury it, I mean, if I leave it up, it gets hit like any other pitch. So, I mean, it's not like it's an automatic swing in this pitch. It is when I locate it um, because it's just a, it's just a different pitch. I really like to run it into righties um, and run it to their back foot. So I'm getting some swings. And, I mean, it's run. What it's doing to me here lately is uh, you know, they haven't seen it before and they're fouling it off. So they're they're just fouling, they're just barely making contact with it and they're fouling it off. So it's running me into deeper counts and stuff like that. So I'm trying to keep myself out of deeper counts. Now using the fastball O2, not being afraid to use the fastball O2, um, especially with guys down here, man. Um, these guys down here, they're patient. They're not they're not um, I mean, they're here for a reason. They've got three thousand bats under their belts. Like I was talking with my pitching coach, Doc Watson, down here. I mean, uh, he's like, they've got 3,000 professional bats under the belt, and you've got, I mean, almost 100 innings. And that's it in your professional career. So and you're going to really find out how to pitch because it's forcing you to pitch down here. So you know, don't get too fastball happy and don't get too off-speed happy. You know, find the middle of the swing and you'll be fine. And that's what, basically what he told me. Yeah, Brent, I wanted to ask, you're, you're working, from what I understand, with a, a four-pitch arsenal now. You have the fastball, the screwball, and then also a curveball and a, a circle change. I know you've worked a lot on the latter two just since you, you joined the Rays last year as a second-round pick. Uh, I just want to, you know, as you're moving up and seeing how hitters react to those pitches, I'm curious how you go about trying to balance all four of those pitches. If there's things you look for in a hitter in his setup that maybe tip you off to one of those off-speed pitches might be a better pitch to go to, kind of what that process has been like of, Learning to balance those things and how how you think that's been playing out. Uh, just being able to develop a better curveball has helped me out too. So, you know, it went from you know my curveball being my fourth best pitch to you know almost a, a, my my front, my front three pitches is what was a little different. My front three pitches I had were a fastball, a screwball, and a changeup. And my changeup was my, I mean, that's my bread and butter pitch, man. It's, I can throw it at any count. I can throw it for strikes. I can throw it for strike balls. I can throw it for balls in a setup pitch. I mean, I can do everything with the changeup and everything with the screwball. It was tough for me to really develop this curveball into my arsenal and use it as a strikeout pitch. Well, that's what I forced myself to do. If it hurt me, it hurt me, but I got to learn how to use it. Um, but, yeah, and there was times that I would really want to throw the curveball for strike three. And I would tell myself, well, make them swing. Keep the pitch on the plate. Just make them swing. And, they'll, I mean, I'll swing over the top of it or hit a ground ball or something. So, I mean, all of that stuff factors in. You know, what they do to the previous pitch, what they've done previous bat, um, all that stuff factors in how I would pitch, guys. You know, going against the, the going, going against Clearwater the other night, they were dead red hitters. You know, I got behind in the count, so therefore I didn't show I could throw my stuff behind in the count early on to where they were just sitting fastball the whole way through, which they do what they were supposed to. And they got fastballs and they didn't miss them. So, I mean, sometimes that happens. 
Brent, let's switch gears a little bit. I want to ask you about uh, your relationship with uh, with Mike Marshall, and it's a name I think that carries a lot of preconceived notions for a lot of people around the baseball community. But uh, Mike Marshall obviously has taught kind of his own brand of pitching mechanics and uh, and delivery and and all that kind of stuff for a lot of guys who have been very successful. And then I think a lot of the traditional mainstream baseball people from years past have kind of passed his stuff off and haven't really trusted it quite as much. Uh, tell me about kind of your thoughts of obviously growing up being close to him, learning the screwball. Um, and knowing you know what he's been able to bring to a whole lot of pitchers, how do you view his teachings and his pitching philosophy versus maybe what you've seen in the Rays organization or what you've seen from other guys that you've known so far in pro ball? Uh, well, see, my, my dad taught me everything I know. It was the, just the screwball was passed on from from him to my dad to me. Um, but what he really focuses on his pronation of the arm. Um, you know, you can watch Trevor Bauer does a lot of pronation and stuff like that. And we should, um, Brett, just want to, want to explain pronation for, for people who might not know. It's sort of if you take your, your right arm, your throwing arm, and you turn your thumb so it's facing down towards the ground. That's that's pronating. So your, your palm is facing away from right. you as opposed to you throw a right. ball. So, if you're, so if, you're, if you're holding the plate, if you're holding the plate, that's supination. If you're throwing the plate down, that's pronation. So... Pronation is a natural motion of the arm. Everyone does it on a fastball. Everyone pronates. They may not know it, but they do. That's just a natural motion of the body. So if you can do what the natural motion is, first of all, throwing overhead isn't natural. That's why you see softballers that throw all the time and that can throw underhand for 150, 160 pitches back-to-back days. Because that's just natural. It's not natural for us to throw overhead, but... The pronation helps the, I mean, the pronation is what keeps keeps you healthy. Um, and that's a big thing for me, and that's what me and my dad focused on whenever I was younger is pronation. But my dad taught me everything I know. My dad taught me how to pitch, um, taught me how to use my stuff, taught me the grips and everything like that. Mike Marshall just passed the screwball down. So it wasn't like I was at, I think he has, a, uh, Marshall has a facility at his house that he, he worked with some guys and uh, that climbed the ladder a little bit. I think my pitching coach said that he had one of Marshall's guys before. I read my pitching coordinator, Billy Robinson. He, I think he said that he had uh, one of Marshall's guys before. I, mean, I can't remember his name, but um, just my dad focuses on pronation because that's what Marshall teaches is pronation. Um, I throw a pronation screwball, which is kind of different. I mean, I'm just working through the pitch and just pronating over the top of the pitch. So it's not like a, I'm not really coming around. It just, it just causes me not to get around the pitch, just to not expose any, any of the elbow. So, I mean, that's it. Right. Yeah, Brent, I wanted to ask just the results this year. Obviously, some really, really good numbers in the uh, the Midwest League, a 2.91 ERA and 12 starts before you got promoted. And a couple times you actually flirted with uh, no hitters and, and perfect games down there. I just wanted to ask just, coming that close to doing something like that, if that, I don't know, maybe gives you a little bit of an extra itch to get one of those, and if that's something you, you think about going start to start is, is getting one of those on your belt you know, while you're in the minors or, or getting up to the majors and kind of what that's done for your confidence, just having those those strong results. Um, yeah, I, I was able to do that, and I was blessed to be able to flirt with something like that. You know, I've seen a lot of guys in the big leagues just should go ahead and start flirting with them too. Um, it's always fun because you know you have them. 
But if you can't finish it, it doesn't really mean it. If I can't finish it, it doesn't really mean anything to me. I mean, but I'm looking to go out and I'm looking to perform for my teammates. Wherever I am, you know, I was at the hot rods in. I wanted us to win the ball game. You know, I think there was one time where I was, I think I was, it may have been one of those where I took a perfect game in the six and two thirds and I was a hair on my chin from losing the ball game. So you, you can't you can't really get caught up in any of that stuff. You still got to make good pitches and stuff like that. But um, no, I'm, that'd be that'd be awesome to get one. You get a perfect game, no hit or something in the minor leagues because I mean you don't see it that much. You don't see it very often. I mean, it's one of those things. that's kind of like a white goose. So. All right, Brett, we'll give you one more question before we get out of here. And I uh, just wanted to ask, I know you've, you've built up some relationships with some of the guys on the Major League staff there in Tampa Bay. See, you know, we talked a little bit about this in spring training, but I just wonder if you could talk about, uh, A, just which guys talking to in the pros may have been helpful for you early in your minor league career, but B, just what it's like being a, a young guy and kind of trying to network yourself with those guys on the Major League staff. It seems like you're doing that with a little more success than I think a lot of 19, 20-year-old kids manage to do. Um, just kind of what you found is, is the best way to kind of talk to those guys and what you've been able to, to ascertain from those conversations. Um, the one I, I really can, can go to, and he always, you know, either calls me back or um, texts me back is, you know, Chris Archer. Chris Archer basically uh, took me under his wings uh, during the free draft. I spoke, and I was like, hey, man, I was like, you know, what's going on? I talked to Price. Uh, whenever Price was here, I talked to uh, Cobb, McGee. I mean, right now I'm staying in McGee's house right here in spring training. Or, uh, right now in Florida State League, I'm staying over in his place. Um, but it's it's always good because those guys got there for a reason. And if you can really pick out and see how they got there and when they got there and just how they built themselves, I mean, just pick, pick their brain, man. I mean, they're not going to bite you. They're the same people as you are. They were just in the minor leagues three years ago. Now they're playing on TV. I mean, that's just, that's how I look at it. Uh, but I mean, I, I've talked to Longoria, uh, but I mean, Chris Archer is the main one there because I got John. We got John Gaster down here now for rehab starting. That'd be awesome. So I mean, it's I mean it's not all baseball talk, man. It's all this fun and games down here. We're, we have a blast down here. And, you know, even when I talked to Arch, I, I talked to him about. I mean, what Arch did a couple of weeks ago was phenomenal. You know, it, you don't see that. So, you know, I I've talked to him and I've watched how he was doing, and. He's just, he's he's put that change up into his arsenal a lot more this year already than he did last year, and it's and it's evened him out. I I think the change up's the best pitch in baseball because it's the only one off the fastball. But and that that's just one thing. I talked to Art. He was rehab or he wasn't rehabbing. He was uh he came down for a start so he could get a so he could open up the season, and he came down for a start. And I was talking to him about the change up and stuff, and I said. You know, look, I mean, I got one thing that I could tell you that might help a little bit, you know, is that just make it feel comfortable in your hand. And it doesn't have to – it can be a screwed-up grip. It can be a, a place of your thought. It can be anything. I mean, anything that can make you 
make the pitch effective, I'm all for it. So I just told Arch, I was like, just just try it. If you don't like it, don't do it. I mean, it's just something to try. I mean, because my changeup is not one is my best pitch off of the off of the fastball. That is my best pitch. So I was like, and just just try it out and see what happens. Well, I think you tried it a couple times. I didn't like that. I was like, well, try something else. Can try something else. I'm not taking credit for anything for Arch, but I mean, he's just a great dude. He helps me, and I help him even when I'm 20 years old, and he's 25, 26 years old. I mean, it's still you. Everybody can help everybody. It's not like we're separated. I mean, we are separated in a way, but it's not. We're all in the same organization. Everybody can help everybody. I mean, Jonathan Brock, my dad had Brock. Um, JB's a good dude, but he he throws 100 miles an hour. He's a little different. He's a closer. So, but JB's a great dude. All those guys. I mean, I've I've kind of been around it for been around guys, good pitchers for a while. And good baseball players for a while. I mean, it's just fun, man. And yeah, you can say, yeah, I talk to big leaguers. You know, I talk to guys that play on TV, but it's always fun, man. It's not just saying, hey, what's up, and having them down here. You know, you don't like them. You don't like seeing them come down here to rehab, but it's always good to get those guys down here. They have fun too. That's that's, that's the fun part. All right, Brent. We know you got to get run into the ballpark, so we'll let you go. We appreciate you joining us again, Brent Honeywell, right-handed pitcher. Tampa Bay Rays organization for Screwball. Brent, thanks a lot, and uh, best of luck with everything down there in Florida. Thanks, Brent. All right, thanks, Jake. Yep, thanks. Big thanks to Brett Honeywell of the Tampa Bay Rays organization, a guy who, I mean, obviously very confident in his own skin. And, you know, the first thing he says to us is jokes about, you know, getting kind of raked over the coals in his uh, his Florida State League debut. Being able to laugh at yourself, that is a very key component, especially after a promotion. You're 20 years old, make it up to the Florida State League. If you can say, all right, I didn't do exactly what I wanted to do in my debut at this level, it'll be fine. That's a big thing. That's a lot of maturity for a kid at 20. Yeah, maturity is, uh, I think that's a good word for him. That's in all my experiences with him. I've talked to him a handful of times already this year and talking to other Rays people. His, I think the thing that stands out most to the Rays is his ability to be a sponge and his eagerness to kind of pick up what everybody has to offer. He kind of alluded to that when he's talking about uh, being around different major league pitchers and seeing kind of what about their process seems to be working for them. And he really... He studies pretty much everybody that he encounters that he thinks might have something that can they can offer, and even if it's just something small, it seems like he's really good at uh, picking that out. And I think that's among you know, along with a 97 mile an hour fastball and a unique pitch and, and some other things. I think that's part of the reason why he's having such a, a strong year for for the Rays. 97 mile an hour fastball, and he said that that screwball can come in at 77 to 79. So it's not just that it's a, a pitch that moves in ways that guys maybe aren't used to seeing. It's also a 20 mile an hour change from that fastball, and that is not fun if you're an opposing hitter. Yep. Yep, that's uh, I, I feel bad for the folks in the Florida State League. We are going to stay on the pitcher's mound, but we're going to go from one coast to the other where Brent Honeywell hangs out in Florida. We're going to head on out uh, to Sonoma, California, and do our first conversation with a non-affiliated player from the Independent Pacific Association of Baseball Clubs, the Sonoma Stompers right-hander Sean Conroy, an RPI product and the first ever openly gay professional baseball player to appear in a pro game. He'll join the show right now. Headed out west.
U.S. to the Pacific Association, an independent league, uh, and the Sonoma Stompers, members of that club, got a very impressive pitching performance from right-hander out of RPI. Sean Conroy joins the show, our first indie ball guy to join the Minor League Baseball podcast. Welcome, Sean. How are you? I'm doing good. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us. So let's talk about, I mean, obviously you made history with your first professional start and we're going to talk a lot about baseball, but we are going to talk about that first. The first openly gay professional baseball player to make an appearance and, and get a win, throw a complete game shutout is extreme icing on the cake, I imagine. Uh, but tell us about just what this last week has been like for you, because it's not like you set out with that being your goal. You set out to be a professional baseball player, accomplish that goal, throw a complete game shutout in your first outing uh but now you've you've blazed a trail and you are your name is going to go down in history for that what is this last week this last uh couple of weeks i guess getting into professional baseball and all of the the notoriety now that has come along with it what's that been like for you i i just feel lucky every day i mean i thought i was gonna have to you know go to a bunch of tryouts you know to find a team but you know they found me and just I love playing baseball, so the fact that I can be in beautiful California playing baseball and then just all of the news, all of the people that have been following me now, it's overwhelming. That is, I think, one of the the neatest things about it is – not a whole lot of people before a week or 10 days ago had ever heard of the Sonoma Stompers and or had heard of the league, really. Uh, and now you've kind of not only put that team on the map, but you've put that league on the map. People saw pictures of, of your teammates who are wearing the, the rainbow sleeves or socks. Uh, the, the awesome photo that the team tweeted out of you getting a hug from your catcher after the win, throw a complete game shutout on your first night. Uh, to be able to kind of be the face of not only that team, that organization, that league, but now kind of be one of the faces of this movement that obviously had a major milestone accomplished uh, outside of baseball last week. Has it kind of hit you yet that like all of a sudden, a couple of months ago, you were right-handed college pitcher and now you are somebody who is known for something nationally and you kind of, I mean, your family name is attached to that. Now you get to have that to hang yourself on uh, as something to be very proud of going forward. Do you get to take all that in or is it just kind of like, no, I just want to go out and and throw the ball and, and continue to put up complete game shutouts from night to night. Right now, I'm just, you know, I feel like I'm on the inside looking out. It's hard to really judge everything that's going on because I can only see, you know, the the messages that I'm getting, the support that I'm getting. I can't really see the the big picture from where I am right now. I, I'm kind of feeling it more and more every day. Yeah, Sean, I just also last want to ask about the kind of the support network and things. Uh, just from, from the point where... Um, it became clear where you were going to be uh, being a, an openly gay baseball player and going into professional ranks. Um, I know there, there are organizations like you can play and, and things like that, and I've seen you've talked to, to Outsports.com. And, uh, I'm curious what the support network is like in dealing with some of the, the media things with that and uh, maybe preparing just for some of the things you might run into, whether it's with opposing fans or, or teammates or, or things. Just kind of what uh, the preparation level is, is like for that and how maybe it's been different for you just trying to transition from being a college baseball player to a pro player um, in ways that you think it's maybe been the same, too? Uh, well, like you said, there are all those venues like you can play and, you know, it gets better. Uh, a lot of the preparation that I've done has just been on my own time, you know, trying to better myself. 
Sean, let's talk a little bit about uh, just what it's been like for you to to join a professional team as kind of an unorthodox guy, right-handed starting pitcher who's a side armor. I was reading a story about uh, when you first tried side arming, it was kind of as a joke, and then all of a sudden, here you were having a lot of success with it, uh, went to RPI, you're the ace of that staff, uh, a team that had a whole lot of success, won your conference this year. Uh, your style obviously transitioned very well in your first start, but if you had to give us a scouting report on Sean Conroy as a pitcher, what made makes you successful uh, as a guy who had so much success in college now goes out first pro outing you get a complete game shot out what do you do well on the mound uh, first and foremost I focus on hitting the glove which is I think what I can do the best you know I, I have command of my slider it's it's from an arm angle that people aren't used to seeing and I, I feel like I have a pretty good idea of what the hitter is going to be looking for yeah, Sean, I wanted to ask on the, the RPI website I see, and Tyler pointed this out to me, your thesis paper in college has a, a title that I think is going to be is interesting to us. I was hoping you can maybe tell us a little bit about the paper. Uh, the title is How Perception of Teammates' Ability Affects Personal Ability. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what, what was in that and kind of how you researched that and, and what sort of the results were? Well, it, as I'm sure Ben and Sam can tell you, uh, it's kind of – an interesting subject to be working on because there's not really too many solid answers that you can get from it. Uh, pretty much I just got a bunch of data without being able to draw too many conclusions. But at the start of the season, I gave my teammates a questionnaire just, you know, uh, asking them to judge their teammates based on uh, what they thought their teammates' abilities were and how much they would help the team, and then compared all that to how well they did that season individually. So when you talk to teammates about that, what is the the reaction from guys who because it's it's so much easier I think to evaluate what you see in other people on a roster than it is to evaluate yourself. Did you find that guys seem to be more honest about all right? Here's what I see from this guy who comes out of the bullpen, or here's what I see about this guy who I you know I play behind. I'm in center field. He's you know a middle infielder. Did it did it come across as guys were able to observe teammates a little bit better than maybe they were able to perceive how they were performing on the field? Uh, I think so. I think that's one of the main reasons why I did it, especially because they knew it was going to be confidential. I, you know, I, I still was the only one that looked at any of that data, and I, I think they believed that. So I, I think they were able to be more honest with judging their teammates than their own abilities. Yeah, you mentioned Ben Lindbergh and, and Sam Miller, both a couple of very successful baseball writers who were involved with the, the Stompers. Is this something that you, you're able to maybe kind of continue studying or talking about with them or – um, you know, kind of maybe continue to, to test some of these theses while you're in pro ball, or is that something that's kind of been put on the side while you're just working on your, your pro career right now? I mean, it, it's definitely on the side a little bit, and, you know, it, it's what they're focusing on. So every once in a while, you know, they'll ask me a question or what I think about something, but it, it's pretty much them in the driver's seat. Sean, let's talk a little bit about those two guys because they, uh, you know, they host a fantastic podcast as well. They do such great work for Baseball Perspectives, but they're also going to be writing a book about their experiences with your club. And I know that they were very high on you coming out of college. Ben's official title, Ben Lindbergh, is the director of baseball operations. Sam Miller's director of scouting. What was the road to get you from RPI to Sonoma? Because so many of the independent leagues, it's t- I mean, like you said, you thought you were going to have to go through a lot of tryouts. It was going to be a lot, diff- a lot more difficult maybe to, to find your first pro deal. But did you have 
have any idea that somebody had been keeping an eye on, all right, this guy strikes out a lot, doesn't walk a lot of guys, doesn't give up many home runs. Did you have an inkling of, of possibly that there was a deal on your horizon when you were getting done with your college career? Or how did that all transpire to get you into, into this deal with Sonoma? Uh, I was not expecting an email to come my way. I thought I was going to have to initiate everything. So that was definitely a surprise. But as far as just playing baseball and how they contacted me, there was about a month left in our season in, I think, April when I got uh, an email from my coach that Ben had contacted him asking if it was okay for him to contact me. So that's kind of how he got in touch with me in the first place, you know, told me about the stompers, told me, you know, it let me look at the contract to see exactly what it would be if it was something I'd be interested in doing. And I told him that it was. Yeah, so it sounds like you were you were interested in chasing a pro career even before that happened and were planning on doing that. Now that you're you're there and you're in indie ball and obviously off to a nice start, I'm curious just kind of where you think your aspirations are, if you you know, like to get into to affiliated ball, sign with a pro team and you know, what you think that might experience be, be might that experience might be like, kinda of where, where your mindset is on, on how you think your future looks right now. Ever since I was a kid, I always wanted to play in the MLB, so I still have those aspirations. I got my fingers crossed. Sean Conroy is a pitcher for the Sonoma Stompers in the Pacific Association, and you heard so much about his first professional start. That was a win back on the 25th, uh, complete game shutout in that one, but that's not the only success that Sean's had so far this season in total. In fact, this year, seven games pitched so far. Uh, he's only allowed one run. It was not earned. So those are pretty solid numbers over 16 innings, 17 strikeouts, and two walks. Been a pretty fun uh, start to the season, I would imagine, for you and your team. And Sean, we cannot thank you enough for spending a few minutes with us today. It's been uh, a whole lot of fun for us to talk to you and congratulations on all the success and, and everything that you've accomplished so far and uh, we might have you on very soon as uh, talking about your career in affiliated ball and uh, we'll be excited to watch that as well man enjoy uh, enjoy this role and thanks a ton for spending a little while with us I look forward to talking to you again thanks Big thanks to Sean Conroy of the Sonoma Stompers. If you find yourself in the Sonoma area, you could check out a Stompers game. There's also a billion minor league teams out there as well. You can head to MILB.com and find tickets for your local club. You can also there subscribe to MILB TV, MILB TV. Got a ton of fun stuff coming up this week uh, on MILB TV. Also, dovetailing off of the tickets thing, there's some fun stuff going on in California this league, which I featured in the promo preview. The uh, Inland Empire 66ers have kind of stolen the idea for nothing night from the Lake uh, the Lake Elsinore storm and nothing night is coming to, uh, to inland empire again this season in which they'll open the gates. People get in for free, bring your own food, no music, no PA announcer, no <laughs> national anthem. That sounds awesome. I I'm thinking the throwback. I would, uh, <laughs> You know, that sounds like the best kind of picnic I could hope for. Seems very entertaining. So the promo preview is up on MILB.com now. Uh, Milb TV, as always, you can check out uh, some upcoming All-Star games. We've had a lot of them already, but uh, AAA All-Star game is coming up here now just two weeks away. And uh, all kinds of good stuff coming up uh, both on the site and on Milb TV this week. As always, you can rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You can check us out on the site at MILB.com. You can follow Jake on Twitter. He is at Jake underscore signer. You can follow me there. I Matt Tyler Mon, that's M-A-U-N. M-I-L-B is at M-I-L-B. And our good pal Benjamin Hill, who is conspicuously absent from this week's show. Ben is on the road once more as we talked to him last week. You can check out bensbiz.mlblogs.com and follow Ben while he's on the road, as well as all of his stuff on, uh, on M-I-L-B.com as well. So, Jake, uh, 
14. It's our first like real multi-interview episode. This has been this has been craziness today. It was it was less of our voice and more of other voices. <laughs> Which like everybody knows that's the aim. Yeah. <laughs> For Jake Siner, I'm Tyler Mond. You can get in touch with the podcast, podcast at MILB.com. Questions, thoughts, comments, concerns, and uh, we will take it from there. So until next week, episode 15, big thanks to Brent Honeywell, big thanks to Sean Conroy, and we will talk to you next week. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.